Welcome in everyone to Locked on Knicks. I am Alex Wolf, joined by Gavin Shaw. Gavin and I back together again, but also still joined by Schwinny Poo, Ashwin Ramnath of Posting and Toasting. You may know him as at Schwinny Poo on Twitter. What's up, Schwinn? What up? And we are going to go over whether or not the Clippers are a threat to sign Kevin Durant. Uh, I expect uh, varying opinions on that. Should be an interesting conversation. And then the all-rookie teams. Mitch got second team. Uh, Kevin Knox just missed it. Alonzo Trier a little further back. Both of them were pissed about it. We're going to touch on that. Steve Mills uh, talking about Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Uh, so that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, always is. And then uh, Alex gets to uh, just just talk about uh, how many pairs of pants he went through when he found out that the Knicks were going to work out Taco Fall. Uh, so just a thrilling episode ahead for you guys. We're excited to get to it. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. Knocks foul from behind. Good stuff about the Knicks, but first off, I hope you guys are listening to us on the Himalaya podcast app. Of course, the number one spot you want to check out podcasts. Uh, They're great at curating a feed for you. They have cool features like letting you fall asleep to podcasts, setting sleep timers, things of that nature. Definitely check that out if you have not already. But we're going to open here with some maybe concerning, maybe not news. Depends on how you're looking at it. Mark Stein, though, uh, most concerning news ever, most concerning news ever. Yes. Mark Stein of The New York Times, obviously a very plugged in reporter uh, as it pertains to the whole NBA, used to be like a contemporary of Woj when they were at ESPN and and uh, Yahoo. Now, you know, Woj is at ESPN. Stein's at The New York Times. Got a great newsletter. He says the other day, uh, As far as Kevin Durant, he says, within the last month, very smart and plugged in people I've consulted say that the Los Angeles Clippers have emerged as an equally dangerous threat to the Knicks to sign Durant away from Golden State. And I believe it. Problem is, at various points during the season, I have heard trusted insiders state with conviction that Durant is already planning to join the Knicks and then that he is likely to consider the Nets as well. And now that he is eyeing the Clippers just as intently as New York. Uh, So that's what Stein had to say. Kendrick Perkins on a TV appearance who, you know, obviously knows Durant. He had made a comment about a week ago about that. It seemed likely that Durant and Kyrie were going to team up in New York. And now he made a comment publicly that said that Durant would be considering the Clippers. Uh, And then lastly, uh, Durant's agent, Rich Kleiman, was being interviewed during like a Wall Street Journal panel the other day and you know they of course asked him about Durant and his future and he said that Durant's 100% undecided that part is obviously the company line so to speak because uh, he can't you know say that shit publicly that like Durant's definitely going to the Knicks because that would you know probably allude to some tampering uh, but uh, you know I, I guess Gavin I'll, you know you can lead us into this discussion what, what are you feeling about the uh 
validity of this, I guess? Like, how concerned are you? Scale of 1 to 10, I guess. I guess we could all just give our concern levels and why. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's a good place to start. Um, I'd say, like, maybe, like, a 3 or 4. Like, it's not, like, a, a new concern. Like, I've I've been I've made it very clear my policy is like I, I like I don't care how many times I hear it and how many like incredibly plugged in people say, oh, yeah, it's a done deal. He's going to New York. He's been going to New York. Um, I just I won't allow myself to believe it until uh, we, we get that Woj tweet. And like I double check that like it's actually like Woj's Twitter. Um, so and I guess just in that sense of natural pessimism, I, I was already at like a three or a four maybe a five if we want to call it 50 50 but i mean there are like reasons like the clippers like would be appealing to him hypothetically like i think they are in one of the best situations in the nba and you can make a case they're one of the few teams in the nba that are currently just in terms of um roster layout and um flexibility and assets like potentially more appealing than the knicks are like i really i absolutely love the deal that they struck with the 76ers at the deadline like i think landry shamit is a very real asset having that heat pick in 2020, even though it's looking more and more like that won't end up being the double draft. That's still, I mean, hypothetically, like another top 10 pick down the docket, even if they're really good, um, have an excellent talent base already, like took the same Warriors team to six games, which another team, like especially with the way that Eastern Conference series is going, might not end up going. Um, as much as I love uh, Fizz, like I, I legitimately believe after last season, like Doc Rivers, still one of the better coaches in the NBA. Like who knows how Durant feels about him on a personal level, but he's really, really good. And I think most importantly, like I, I think that Clippers front office says like, I mean, who knows how long Jerry West has left in the league, but I, I think they're legitimately one of the better groups in the NBA. And if I was a superstar, I'd kind of want to put my faith in them. Um, all, all that being said, it's still like the Clippers versus the Knicks. And I think the narrative that like, I don't think he'd go there with Kawhi necessarily. I think they're going to end up in separate spots and it seems more likely Kawhi goes to LA, assuming he leaves Toronto and Katie ends up on the Knicks. So I, I don't, I, I'm not saying I see it happening, but there is like, I, I think there's enough going for the Clippers that you could certainly talk yourself into it. Yeah. Schwinn, what do you think? What's your, what's your concern level? Like. I don't know, maybe like a negative seventy-eight. Pretty good. It's comparable to I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how like a guy that has been suffering, not even, I mean, suffering is probably the wrong word, but who's, I mean, in his own head, suffering through not getting enough recognition for how great he is and how much he's co- contributed to these you know this this golden state kind of dynasty that's going on like so he's gonna leave to get out of the shadow of stephen curry and this golden state dynasty and go to like the redheaded stepchild of la um to go play in the shadow of lebron where like like honestly even if he wins a fucking chip with the clippers who's gonna care like what 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 is he what what is he changing there Okay, I mean, people will care. Obviously, you win a championship, people are going to care. But like, is is the city of LA going to rent? Like, are they going to embrace him? Is he going to become the favored son of the city? No, he's not. So, like, what are we talking about here? This thirsty ass guy is going to leave the situation where he's not getting his, you know, he's not getting quenched. His his parched throat is not getting quenched. And he's gonna go to the Clippers. No, I'm I'm not buying that at all. I think it's very convenient that this comes out uh, a couple of days after Popper's weird ass report that like 
anonymous sources were asking him if there were whispers that were true that the Knicks had had a secret meeting with Durant, which, like, I don't even understand what that report meant exactly. Um, but I think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that all of a sudden, uh, Mark Stein, who clearly has an in with the Knicks front office based on all the all the sourcing he got on the Porzingis trade, and that Kendrick Perkins, who very obviously has an in with Kevin Durant, um, is also saying the same. It it definitely seems like a very concerted media push to uh, to get the attention away from any potential tampering charges or tampering attention that might occur. Um, I, I don't see it. I really don't see it, and. I don't know. I, I so much of it seems bogus. Like, yeah, sure, the Clippers are in a great position. Blah blah blah. blah. Like, if his entire move about leaving Golden State was about winning, I, I, I mean, if it's about winning, why the fuck would you even leave Golden State? You would. Yeah. So like, like, it's not about winning. Like him leaving Golden State is most definitely not about finding the most winning situation. It's about controlling narrative and like defining a legacy. And I'm sorry, but, like, he's not leaving Golden State to go to the fucking Clippers. Like, give me a break. All right? Just give me a break. Yeah, that's kind of, like, it, the more you were just saying that, the more I'm like, yeah, this, I mean, from a bas- from a pure basketball standpoint, I guess if he, like, really just wanted to be, like, the alpha dog, like, sure, maybe he would slightly consider it. But I just think, like, when you consider the Knicks, like, The Clippers would need to do some finagling to free up another max slot. They'd have to get rid of uh, Gallinari, probably. But, like, that wouldn't be that hard. It wouldn't be that hard. Which wouldn't be that hard. Yeah, it wouldn't be that hard. But, like, you know, they need to do some finagling. But, like, and you could argue, like, their supporting cast is, like, for sure better. But the Knicks are probably in a better position to let him choose a co-star and then have the trade pieces to trade for a third guy, potentially, if, you know, if that's what the situation dictates or whatever. I'm kind of on the on the same general level as both you guys. Like I'm at, I'm at like a one out of 10, you know, like I really just, it, it does feel like a smokescreen to me. Like it, it of course, Kleiman's going to come out during that, that wall street journal thing and be like, Oh, like, uh, you know, he's not decided. Cause what the hell else is he going to say? What's yeah. What is he, is he supposed to, Oh yeah. No, it's done. Yeah, oh yeah. It's done. We've had our secret meeting and the, and the endorsements are already ironed out. Yeah, that's and he's got an MSG show. Check it out in the fall. Like, <laughs> it, he's not going to say that. Um, and then like the Kendrick Perkins thing, it's it's funny because it's you know it's like you said, it's literally like three days after you know he was like, oh, I could see Durant and Kyrie on the Knicks. Like, and now it's like he's like, oh wait, but the Clippers. It's that feels like Durant sent him a text was like, yo, you're going to be on TV anytime. You know, coming up, just like say that I'm thinking about the Clippers if you could. Like, as far and, as I'm concerned, it's like if he's gonna stay, right? Like, the two choices are winning and legacy. And it's like if he's gonna leave, okay. Like I, I've thought this since last summer. It was it was either the Knicks or he stays in Golden State. I've thought this since last summer. So like I don't see any other team really being an option. Like that's just. I I don't I don't I, w- I don't I wouldn't get the choice from his perspective to go anywhere to, if he's gonna leave Golden State right like if you're leaving Utopia like what what other place gives you the chance to just like not only like they're 100 percent the team will be built around you sure 
but also just like shaping your narrative to an extent of like redefining your legacy. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just, it, it's very hard for me to fathom why he would leave to go to the Clippers, like leave to go to the Nets. And it's not to say like those teams are terrible situations because they're definitely not, but it's like, what's going to do more for your legacy and you know like how are the circumstances ultimately that different like okay yeah the clippers won what whatever they won 45 games they took golden state to six the nets really really you know the greatest 42 win team in the history of fucking mankind uh that won one game in the first round and got sunned to death by ben simmons um like okay yeah that's great they have all this culture going for them but like Ultimately, if he goes to either of these teams, right, they're clearing out a lot of these guys to bring in a second star, which is essentially what the Knicks are offering him from the bat. So it's like the situations to me are just not that different. Um, So, like, why are you going to leave Utopia to go to any of these teams? And it's about legacy. And of those three teams, are we really going to debate which team means more legacy? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you on all that. I guess the only thing I'll throw out there is, like, we, we've established at this point that, like, Katie's, like, a weird dude. And, like, I just, my only, I, I think the one thing that's keeping me from, like, totally committing to the idea that he's coming to New York, which, like, I fully acknowledge, like, logically seems like it's, if not 100% going to happen, like, it's extremely, extremely likely. And, and the Knicks um, are dramatically the heavy favorite. Is like I just like I don't want to make the mistake of like assuming I know how he thinks and what he prioritizes and logically like that's like even even based on his comments and like what he said in the past like he should prioritize what the Knicks could give him and like the possibilities of that and like what the upside of that is which is immense and like I I'm in total agreement like the upside of him joining the Knicks is just it's a different ceiling than any other spot it's not really particularly close outside of him like maybe ripping off like seven straight titles with Golden State the only thing I'll say about that is like is like I just like don't know the dude he's like he also spends like all this time like talking about like how he's like perfected basketball and he's like he's totally mastered the game and he's constantly striving to like reach like new levels of like the platonic ideal of basketball like he has some idea of like oh you know what like the Clippers like if we get like like I mean I know this is crossing off what I said earlier but like if we get me and Kawhi and like we have like the best like two-way wings to ever play together and we have just like this picture-perfect supporting cast with like shooting youth size uh Montrose Harrell type guy like maybe that's like his idea of like perfect basketball. I'm like I, I don't I don't know. I don't think that. Again, I'm 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 on the whole, I'm hundred percent with you guys that I think this is a smoke screen and like it's stupid and it's probably not gonna happen. But like I just don't wanna make the mistake of assuming I know exactly how he thinks because I, I I'm not sure if we do. No, that's smart, because like I, I'm in the same boat. Like I you know, he, he seems like kind of an enigma, but the the way that things have been telegraphed to this point makes me think that his his motivations for coming to the Knicks are twofold. One is his business interests, which are largely based out of New York because that's where his company is based out of now. So I think he's going to want to be close to that in the same way that like LeBron is starting his like production company and went to LA like strictly for that so that he could move his family out there, set up like his post playing career out there. I feel like Durant's kind of thinking in the same terms now of like, I'll go to New York I will set up my like post career life and, you know, get to play in the, you know, the, the best arena, arguably in all basketball play for the best, you know, one of the best fan bases, one of the most loyal fan bases that'll like truly appreciate what I put on the floor 
And then the second thing being like tying right into that, that if he wins one or like, God forbid, two titles in New York, I mean, that's like he would be deified. Like he would he would instantly because of the focus that the Knicks get in the media and the fact that it would be like his team and his titles, if he would get one or two titles in New York, it would completely have the potential to like flip the uh, LeBron versus KD narrative on its head, which I think like. You know, publicly, he'll never say it, but it seems like based off reporting that like privately, he actually really gives a shit about this, like all time, you know, ranking type stuff and feels like he's been kind of like slighted in a way, I guess, because he he just so happened to play basketball at the same time as LeBron James. Um, So I I think that that aspect definitely has, you know, some bearing on on his decision as well. But, yeah, I, I don't know for sure, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. Like, I think he's I, – I, I feel like this is all just coordinated at this point, and I think Durant's savvy enough to, you know, it, between him and Kleiman to sort of uh, coordinate these things so that it doesn't look like it's such a slam dunk so that there's no – or at least there's less potential of, like, tampering charges and stuff like that. So, anyway, uh, we could probably – well, actually, you know, let's briefly just bring up Richard – Richard Jefferson, of all people, said that the Knicks aren't a good destination and are not conducive to winning, and, and that if Durant's decision is about winning, there's it's no a very, reason. very unbiased source. Very unbiased information from a very a, a guy with no, you know, no horse in either race. You know, he doesn't care about the the Knicks versus the Nets or the Clippers. Okay. He's, it's not like he ever played for the Nets. I, I, I don't know where he got this shit from. Um, and then uh, Kevin Durant. Maybe sunned, maybe didn't Chris Broussard on Twitter. Uh, Broussard was talking about how he's he, he was talking about on first take how he's had like hours and hours of conversations with Kevin Durant and Durant. Like he's like, I've texted with Durant for hours on end about life, basketball, blah, blah, blah. And Durant quote tweeted him and was like, man, you don't even have my number. Like, get the fuck out of here. And I just found that to be funny. I don't know. And then and then Broussard, of course, responded with like, yeah, I don't have your number, but we talked on DM. Like, that's the same thing. It just turned into a into kind of a petty war that I found funny. Bruce Hart is 50. It's all the same to them. <laughs> yeah, it was all I guess. Like DM on Twitter and IG. It's all the same. They all think it's text. Yeah, it's true. It is I, very... I, I just, like, I as much as I despise Chris Broussard and think he's full of shit, like, I don't think he's so full of shit that he would fabricate... Like, did he embellish the conversations they've had and how deep they've been? Yeah, I'm sure he did. But, like, I don't think he invented that out of thin air. I think there's even, like, a quote from KD, like, some Kevin Durant biography or something where, like, he talks about having had talked to Broussard. So, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I it's It's very difficult for me to believe that, like, Broussard straight up made that up uh, entirely, and um, I don't know. I, Durant's a weird dude. Um, who knows what's going on in that guy's head? Uh, I don't really... I don't know. People always bring this up, like, oh, how will he deal with the media in New York? How will that affect him? It's like, I don't know, man. If he just wants to be a gigantic asshole all the time, that's fine with me, as long as he keeps playing like he keeps playing, because as far as I can tell, it has not affected his on-court play. Yeah. All right. Well, let's <laughs> I, I feel like that's a good uh, breaking off point for this Durant news. 
So we'll take a quick break. But first off, just had to remind you guys, today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. You are back on Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks NBA podcast. Uh, Remember, this show is brought to you by Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts, like tall, short, slim, relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-up looks so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code MBA, to get 20% off. Guys, I know as a man who's about 6'3 and like 85 pounds soaking wet, uh, those shirts sound perfect for me because I cannot find normal shirts that fit me correctly. So please, please, please check out Kentucky. Uh, speaking of uh, weirdly proportioned individuals in the best possible way, uh, Mitchell Robinson made all rookie second team. Uh, Kevin Knox got, uh, I was going to say snub, but I wouldn't actually believe that, and I couldn't convince myself of that. Uh, he came in 12th in the voting. Uh, Alonzo Trier, and maybe a little bit of contention between you two on this one. He came in at 14th. So did you guys take issue with any of that, or were you pretty much okay with it? I mean, I know me personally. So Mitch making the second team, I mean, that's tough because, like, you know, Mitch obviously had such a great season, particularly, like, the latter half of the season. But I could see it. You know what I mean? Like, Aiton put up the numbers. You know what I mean? Like, Aiton, Bagley, and and Jaron Jackson all had the numbers. And that's really all that matters in these things. It's just, like, a popularity contest with numbers. And so I could see that, even if I think that Mitch is profiling as, like, a better player on, like, a, a true, like, contender. Then some of those guys that Jaron Jackson uh, set aside because I think JJJ is really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I think like all the bigs aside from Aiden profile is better winning players than fucking Aiden. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it, so Aiden, like, you know, whatever. But he, the fact of the matter is, is he got his counting stats. So I understand why Mitch got put to the second team. That said, Mitch was like, he was he was like uh, ninth out of ten, I think, in the total voting, and that I t- sort of took exception to because I was like, I felt like Mitch should have been just outside the first team because he was like truly phenomenal, and I don't think people are quite appreciating his field goal percentage numbers that would have led the league had he met the like minimum minutes requirements, um, and the blocks, which were just insane. I mean, he doubled up the next best rookie in blocks, and his like block per minute fucking averages were off the charts, um, but. I think, I mean, Knox, like, yeah, like you said, Gavin, Knox Knox didn't deserve to make one of the teams. Like, it sucks, like, because I wanted him to do better, but his percentages were bad. He was, like, truly bad on defense for, like, most, if not all the year. Um, All the year. Yeah, and, 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 like, (laughs) at least half of the season, he, like, couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. So, I, you know, I, that's fine. I don't have any, any, you know, objections to that. Trier, though, I thought, like, I don't know. I thought Trier could have really had a case. I certainly thought Trier should have finished ahead of Knox in the voting. And then I felt like Trier, like realistically, if you put him side to side with, with Lander Shamit, who made the, the second team and was like the, I think he came in one spot ahead of Mitch. If I recall, I mean, it, I feel like you could have made a case. Like you look at their numbers, one versus the other. And like, if you look at what Trier was made responsible for, 
this year, like having a huge burden put on him as an undrafted player. You mean like um, just like putting up numbers on a shitty team? Yeah, but what it, that was what he was asked to do. Like he was literally right, and Fizdale, they were a shitty team. Fizdale would be like, go, I know, but like the whole team was shitty. That's not his fault. Like I'm not Fizdale, saying it's his fault, but I'm saying like that's what he did. Like he put up numbers on a shitty team. Somebody has to put numbers up on a shitty team. Okay, it's not like a I mean, big it, accomplishment. But is it like? But he did it with good percentages. It's not like he did it like. I, not. I agree. Like, I'm not denying that. But like, like at some point, if you're if you're efficient, but like it's not impacting the baseline of your team, then like it says something about you know the impact of your numbers. And this isn't like like I mean I'm not arguing like true shit. I actually think he like I mean I I actually totally believe that he has good sixth man of the year type upside i i I don't deny that but like i mean even from an efficiency standpoint like she was on fuck he was 60 true shooting this year as a rookie he shot over shot 42 percent from three he literally hit the game winning three in a playoff game yeah but well a that doesn't count because technically these okay it doesn't count count but like in in us like it doesn't count the vote but in us talking about it on lockdown Knicks. It counts. It counts. Like, <laughs> it does count. I mean, it does. Like, if you're contributing to winning, um, like, I that matters. I, I mean, maybe not in how, I mean, it definitely doesn't in how people normally vote on, you know, um, on Rookie of the Year stuff. But, like, Shamit, I, I don't even think, like, I honestly don't think it's close. I, I just think, like, like okay, if, if you're saying that Trier, if if you were trying to build, like, I mean, not that you would build a team around either of these guys, but like, if you were trying to build a team around one of these guys, it would be Trier, right? Because he can do more stuff. But, like, who actually plays a better role on a team? I feel like comfortably right now, if you were projecting them forward, what Shamit can do translates to, like, every team. Like, oh, yeah. okay. He's just going to hit threes and, like, run off screens and be this low usage guy that can knock down shots all the time. Whereas Trier, it's like, well, he has to have the ball and he has to have like, you know, some carte blanche, do whatever the hell he wants. And like, that's fine. But, you know, I just don't understand. Like, I don't know what the argument is that, that Trier was better this year other than that. Like he, he did cool stuff with the ball sometimes. Like, I mean, I guess I just don't see like, I, I think that by the end of the year, Trier kind of showed. I mean, granted, he was injured for like the the last, very last part of the season, but before he got hurt, I thought that he was showing more versatility as far as being able to work off the ball and stuff like that. I mean, I don't. I think probably where you could knock him versus Shamit for sure is like defense, because I don't think that Trier proved that he can necessarily be like a plus defender, and and that was kind of something that Shamit was better at. Was he though? Well, I feel like Shaman actually sucks on defense too. No, they're so, very. I'm, I'm looking at like the stats right now, and their defensive ratings are literally within point one of each other. Even though Shaman played two much better defenses. I guess yeah. I just thought that Shaman was better because the Clippers were better on D. But either way, I mean, I guess that just proves my point further. I just think like, I I think if you would put Trier in that situation on the Clippers, he could have still produced similar numbers because he showed by the end of the year on the Knicks that he was able to operate without the ball in his hands. Yeah, but you can't, you, you cannot run. Like, I agree with you on that. Like, he did show some growth. It's like, okay, he's going to, like, at least catch and shoot the ball. Okay, I agree with that. But, like, you can't, like, you were, like, they were basically using Shaman as, like, pseudo 
J.J. Reddick just running off screens and, like, catching, shooting off full sprint. Like, Trier cannot do that. He can't. No, but I he's mean... Not, he's not, like... It's not his role. I mean... Like, uh, but I agree with that. But I'm saying, like, if you're saying that you could use him in a... You couldn't. Because, like, if he... Like, if you can't use them in the same role. They're, they're totally different players. So, like, to me, a player like Shamit is somebody that... That you don't have to figure a lot of stuff out with him. You're just like, hey, look, like if you have any high usage players in your team, which you know basically every team has some some high usage players, he can just play off of them because that's the kind of player he is. Whereas Trier is somebody that like he needs the ball. He's actually, to be honest, like in fairness to Trier, he's actually not that high usage. I think he was only like twenty or twenty one usage, which isn't that insane or anything. Uh, that's like an average usage to be honest. Um, but, like, he definitely needs the ball. Like, he catches the ball. He has to feel it. He has to dribble around a little bit. Like, they're, they're just so different. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just, I guess I'm my... just saying, like, we won 17 games. He played a really big role. Like, Shamit played, I don't know. I, I think he actually ended up playing more total minutes than Trier, and he contributed to two winning teams, to be honest. Um I, I just don't see how that's like even debatable which one deserved it and which one I guess did. like my my overall like point on it would be I as far as like how Trier can play off of better players and whatever, I, I think we just have to wait and see because I think this year he was asked to do way more than he should have been asked to do. And I think he did well given the situation. Like because I don't think that I don't yeah, think I he agree. necessarily needs the ball in his hand all the time, but that was what Fizdale asked him to do. I mean, a lot of times Fizdale had him go out there and be de facto point guard off the bench and just be like, go out there and ISO up and score and do what you got to do. Keep yeah, it Yeah, just do what you got to do. Um, anyway, Gavin, I, I need your deciding vote here. Who's the winner? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm so neutral on this. Like, <laughs> I, I think, I, I guess, like, I mean, I think obviously Trier did more last season it's funny like you look at their statistics like they literally both played exactly 22 and a half minutes a game efficiency stats were super close like Trier was 45 percent from the field Shaman 43 Shaman was obviously a little bit of a better three-point shooter at a, at a pretty much higher at a pretty significantly higher volume like he took more than two times as many threes per game free throws were within 0.3 of each other they actually had like very very similar seasons I think I, I I'm, I'm kind of partial to Schwinn's argument like I, I lean towards the guy who contributed on a winning team and like statistically like they were essentially the same I don't know if that's indicative of anything of the two of them going forward which is why like I I don't really care about this all that much but uh yeah I think I'm I'm, I'm totally fine with Shamit getting it like if Trier was like if Trier had scored 15 points per game I would have argued that's like enough of a separation in terms of role and I think if Trier had like gotten like 25 minutes and like had never gotten hurt earlier in the season, like, a night, and, like, there hadn't been so much rotation shakeup, and we weren't playing, like, five point guards, like, four of whom were bad the whole season, like, yeah, like, he would have had a pretty good shot at it, but, like, given how it played out, like, I, I just, I take no issue with it. I should probably, yeah, and like, also all rookie dove... doesn't matter. Like, yeah. It really doesn't matter, so whatever. I should probably clarify, like, I dove really deep into, like, the Trier deep end here. I don't necessarily think that he, like, needed to make you the second team. Trier. I do, Trier. Trier. I do love Trier. I do love favorite player of all time. He's maybe tell, my second tell favorite the behind, behind Mello, uh, maybe <laughs> behind Taco Fall, who we'll get to in a minute. Um, let's see what other players can I do that would piss people off. Um, J.R. Smith. He's a little bit behind J.R. Smith and Barniani. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty high on those two as well. Frank Nilakina. Frank Nilakina might be the tops on my list. That's a genuine one. 
you really do feel that way. You just kind of <laughs> slipped it in there. <laughs> but at any rate, I just felt like Trier should have finished up higher. I, you know what I mean? He only got 10 second team votes. I felt like he should have gotten a little more, little more recognition than that. But it's understandable. Like he played on the worst team in the league and he was undrafted. So there was really no visibility for him for most of the season. It's not like he had any of those like signature moments that people would have remembered. You know what I mean? Like he had a couple big games early in the season, whatever. But um, I, I feel like we should also just briefly bring up how Trier and Knox responded on Twitter and Instagram. Basically both. Well, Trier was a little more salty than Knox. Trier was like. That makes sense. Trier was like, oh, hell no. And then. Someone responded like, "Man, it was a deep class," and and then he quotes me like, "Was it? Was it really?" And then uh, and then Knox just put out the standard like black screen Instagram story that just had like writing across it that said like, "Just motivation to get better for next year." So that was that's because he had to he had to squeeze that in between a, a game of Fortnite. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, he couldn't take a picture of his surroundings because I'm like, "Shit, I'm not in the gym right now." Yeah. Um, but okay, this is my last my last thing on this before we move on because we probably spent too much time on this already. But I thought it was kind of ridiculous that Mitch didn't because they released the all defensive teams today as well. I thought it was a little ridiculous that Mitch didn't get at least one courtesy second team vote for all defense, given how like ridiculous he was on defense. And I also feel like that's probably the last time in his career that he won't get an all defense vote. Okay. Yeah, but have you seen some of those votes? Like PJ Tucker got less votes than James Harden. Like Steph Curry yeah. got a first team vote. Are you yeah, kidding dude, me? Dude, some some of these votes, like I, so people that get work. The only vote that I actually care about is like MVP and All NBA. Every other award is just bullshit. It's all like media dressing, and nobody cares about it. And you can tell by the way it's voted. Like the fact that fucking James Harden got more votes than PJ PJ Tucker for all defense. Tells you everything you need to know about how even media members value these things. It's like, do you remember when like Kobe got like fifteen straight all defense teams or whatever? And like, oh, but he was he deserved them all. Yeah, like literally, some <laughs> of them were like, I, he might have even gotten one post Achilles injury. For all I remember, like it was ridiculous. It was like, how is he still considered all defense? Like he's not all defense anymore. He's not that good. Like on defense, I should say, Kobe obviously still could score the ball for a long time, but. Yeah, it's it's a stupid ass award. I just I I wish that one writer. I feel you, just, man. I feel you. It just yeah. It's just I've seen I saw a lot of people get really upset about this stuff on on Twitter, and I'm like, man, if you, I don't know what to tell you, if you're getting that worked up over second team all defense, like shit, man, get a life. <laughs> can I can I just throw out there like he like he he like objectively like didn't deserve to get a vote this year. I mean, just based on like number of games he played, and like I think. I don't know. I mean, he's still like he, he's, he's amazing. And like in some ways, like he was better than those guys, obviously, in terms of like shot blocking. But like no, volume matters. I mean, his... I, I, I would say Gobert is probably still like the best defensive center. And like at this very just in terms of like knowledge and like reads like you don't you didn't always see it with Mitch. And like it's hard because like everyone else is breaking down around him. So it's hard to gauge. But like if I was going to like plug a guy in a playoff series, right? Like, I guess this is kind of an interesting question. Would, would you take Mitch in like a playoff series purely based on defense over Gobert right now? Yes, I actually think so. Uh, okay. I mean, no. Right. I I, absolutely not. Okay. I mean, just, I think I was just going to just one thing, like, even if you would though, like, I mean, just purely based on games like you couldn't justify, like, I, I get what you're saying. Like you want, like you get all these, like if Steph gets a vote, like Mitch should get a vote and that's totally fair. But like he, he didn't like just based on time played, he didn't deserve it this year. 
I just think like he finished the season fourth. I, I think it was fourth overall in block shots, despite playing like freaking a zillion minutes less than all the rest of the guys. I mean, he played under half their minutes, which is kind of ridiculous. But the the thing to your point, I'll keep this super brief. But my my thing with him versus like Gobert is that I would at least be willing to give that a shot today because Gobert's already been exposed like two years in a row now as being basically unplayable in the playoffs because he can't switch well enough. Okay, okay, okay. Hold, on, so, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Right, he hasn't yeah. been exposed unplayable in playoffs. He's been exposed unplayable against a specific opposition. I like, guess that's true. <laughs> like, like if you put Gobert in a series against Jokic or whatever the fuck path Cantor had breastfed to him, like he would be fine. He'd be he'd be dominant. He got stuck against the Rockets two years in a row, and they still won their first round series last year against the Thunder, where they sunned, you know, Adams and Russ and PG to death. So like. He's playable in the playoffs again, except against two specific teams, which are Golden State and the Rockets. And why is that? Because they have the two, arguably the two best primary ball handler pull-up shooters in the history of basketball. Like, yeah, in that series, let me a little fact: like, no, like you can't judge big men on those series. In my opinion, like you can't judge any true center on how they play against Golden State or how they play against Houston because those are like complete outliers. They're but those are the teams outliers. that are winning the championships. Oh, like, really? How many championships Houston won? The I mean, zero. Won? But like, if okay. it wasn't for the Warriors, I bet you the Houston would have won at least one title okay. over the last few years. Really? Houston's offense, like after the first two games in that series, like sucked. Like, I don't th- I think Gobert, like, wasn't that a big thing that he got better yeah. on the perimeter? And like, he they wasn't were, as- They were fine. They were, they were, they, they should have probably at least gotten that to two two, right? Because I think that game three, they like they just shit the bed offensively. That was like hard and like couldn't hit a shot, yeah. Yeah, like they they shit the bed. Like they were fine in that series and it got totally exaggerated. And like also, you know, why should I believe Houston's gonna would win anything? Because last time I checked, they lost to San Antonio without Kawhi two years ago. And then they lost this year, uh one or whatever. They lost as soon they lost game five as soon as Durant went out. And then they lost game six at a home without Durant. Like, so not miss me with this whole gold. Houston is some fucking elite, you know, Golden State Park team. No. All not right. Happy. Well, I'm going to use my power to end this segment <coughs> and just say that you guys are haters and you just don't want me to get my nut to Mitch Robinson right now. All right. Some of us are better with basketball knowledge. We're, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> And we're going to come back. We'll talk just a little bit about Steve Mills had some telling comments about the Porzingis trade during a fan event the other day. And I will get to briefly talk about my favorite player in the whole world, Taco Fall, who the Knicks are going to work out. All that coming up in just a sec. And we're back to Locked On Knicks. We are going to get into some comments that Steve Mills made about the Kristaps Porzingis trade at a fan event in just a moment. But first, I'd just like to remind you guys that today's show is brought to you by Grip6 Belts, where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even moms and wives. Check out their women's collection. They're ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and they carry a low profile with the buckle laying flat against your waist, making the belt super comfortable. Grip6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. Grip6 has a special offer for you guys as well at grip6.com slash lock. 
That's G-R-I-P, the number six, dot com slash L-O-C-K-E. So be sure to check those out. Get yourself a comfy belt for, or get one for your dad or grandpa or whoever for Father's Day, for your favorite grad for graduation, you know, dads and grads. It's that time of year. At any rate, uh, we want to talk now a little bit about, there was a, there was a fan event uh, the other day. And first off, shout out to, uh, Nick Sky One at Nick Sky One on Twitter goes by hashtag Knox Tape uh, on Twitter for posting this video. It was from a fan event. Um, the Knicks tend to do one of these like every year. It's like a fan town hall type thing. Last year, if I recall, they did it right after they hired Fizdale, and you know it's just an opportunity to talk to season ticket holders and you know answer some questions and whatever. So uh, they were asked a question about the Porzingis trade naturally because who wouldn't? And Mills, I, I think for the first time, got this deep into the information. He said that basically Porzingis came into uh, their office that day. And this this is the part that's new news to me. I hadn't heard this particular thing. He said that he gave the Knicks seven days to trade him or he was going to go back to Europe and just like stay there. And we'd previously heard that he was going to, you know, spend time away from the team in Europe or whatever, but we didn't know that there was this like one week ultimatum that No, no, no uh, we did. We did. Oh, uh, was there was the one week thing previously out well, there? Well, it wasn't it wasn't listed in terms of a de- in terms of day periods, but it was that like if they hadn't dealt him by the deadline, he's going to go back and the deadline was a week away. Uh, so, that well, was reported by Mark Stein, who also reported randomly, you know, two days after tampering charges came out that Kevin Durant totally wants to sign with the Clippers. Um, just saying anyway, um, you know, yeah. but anyway, uh, I, I think yeah. I, I just think that like, you know, it's just more evidence, not even more evidence just confirms that KP is a fucking bitch. And he's an idiot. I mean, I just find it. I still find it so funny that he and he and Giannis like walked in there with, you know, their chest puffed out seems like, and, were like you know like slap their dicks on the table to use a to, to use like a not very uh, eloquent aste- aesthetically pleasing way to say it, but you know it's basically what they thought they were doing. Like they were trying to make a power play. Giannis had this whole like sheet with demands or whatever that he had brought, and he was like just getting ready to like when they were like learning about the trade, he was just getting ready to call the Knicks back up and be like, well, we need you. This, this, and this. Like, have you, have you ever, you've, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have seen Inception before. Of course. Yeah. So, like, you know that scene where uh, they're like holed up in that, in that kind of like facility. And uh, who's the, who's the, the Asian guy that's like, he's like kind of shot, right? Like, cause they, they're in that first level of the dream. He's shot, trying to figure out what to do. And so, like, they're getting crowded around by these projections. And so Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes outside and he starts, like, shooting at them with, like, you know, he has, like, assault rifle or whatever. And then Tom Hardy comes out and he's like, he's like, look, man, we're in a dream. Like, don't be afraid to dream a little bigger. And he, like, pulls out a bazooka and shoots at those guys, the same guys that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been shooting with. And I feel like that's basically what happened is that, like, Yanis and KP came into this meeting thinking, like, oh, yeah, like, we got this unlocked. They came with like super soakers and you know fucking perry had the shotgun loaded under the table all ready to go it was like what are you doing here you think you're catching me off guard like because you're not you're not catching me off guard we know what you're about to do 
like we've had deals lined up since September. That's the real thing that I thought came out from that little tape from that uh from that event was not that like you know he had requested a trade he demanded that he be traded in seven days but they were like mills was legit like yeah look like we had deals lined up from september on so clearly like they had been preparing for this possibility or slash eventuality and you know regardless of how you feel about the actual trade in and of itself and how it all went down like that to me is a positive because it shows a preparedness um and it also goes against this ridiculous idea that like they manufactured this trade 20 minutes after fucking you know he comes into the meeting and tells him he wants to be traded like look man you, you don't deal that much salary that many players picks like it, it doesn't happen in, in an hour it doesn't even happen in two hours like there's a lot of shit to figure out there like from a cash flow perspective, just a lot of stuff that people don't want to accept is part of a business move. Um, so to me, that was like that was the 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 best as as a Knicks fan. That's the ultimate positive you take from it is that they weren't caught unaware by this at all. You know, like they were very very well prepared for that outcome, and and they already had had a move like set to move on, um, and I think. You know, not what he said also in that same thread. Uh, if you like, you know, if you go through the tre- thread, maybe you guys can post it after the fact. But um, he also mentioned that um, when they had talked to teams like throughout the year, I think as they got closer to kind of the deadline, there were a lot of teams that were interested, but they wanted to involve three teams. And I think the Knicks, like it would have been, or rather, it would have required to find a third team. And the Knicks didn't want to do that, obviously, because, you know, as soon as it leaks that Porzingis wants out, you're kind of losing leverage, right? So they wanted deals to move on immediately, you know, one-on-one team transactions. And so um, that's just something else to note, too. I think they had a very clear idea of, like, what was the optimal way of moving on and uh, the best package they could get and what they wanted. So, um, you know, whatever, like... Porzingis, whatever he wants to do, that guy can. I don't really care about him at this point. Like, I think that he was never going to be happy here, even if the Knicks did max him or did whatever he wanted them to do. Um, it was always going to be like an adversarial relationship that you were always kind of like bending over backwards to make right. And you know, at cer- at a certain point, like no matter what, you know, I, I do probably think that. Both sides are a couple to an extent. I don't know how much of that is Mills and Perry's responsibility as much as, like, Phil kind of poisoned the well before he bounced. Um, but, like, you know, it, I, I do think that Perry made good faith efforts to mend the relationship. And um, I do also think that, like, to an extent that uh, Porzingis and his brother probably did want to mend it also. But, like, once you lose trust, it's really hard to get it back and it was gone and i think both sides just needed to move on and uh you know the knicks found a willing trade partner partner in dallas dallas got what they wanted they're probably not going to find any other path to getting a potential like star talent so that made sense for them to risk it all for porzingis and it made complete sense for the knicks to be like all right look fuck this like let's just dump this guy let's get rid of all our bad salary let's get some picks and let's just clear the slate moving forward yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to argue any of that. It seems 
I, I'm trying to think of like the best way to phrase this. Like, I, I'm certain, I'm definitely in agreement. Like, it's a good thing that they were prepped. And like, I, I guess my my biggest takeaway from all this, I mean, is just like like whoever you want to blame it on. Like, it seems like it was like doomed to fail. And like, I've I've kind of like come to like accept that. And like, it didn't it didn't seem like it was going to work out. And like, I was I mean, and I made this argument at the time. Like, I I still don't think like he ever would have turned down the extension like i mean i think if he did like he's i mean the whole thing is so fucked and like they're just unbelievably stupid and but i, I don't think he would have i mean i think he would have like if the Knicks had just held on to him like he would have accepted it he would have made the best of it and he, he'd still be there and obviously now with like the possible sexual assault stuff that's coming out like maybe that ultimately would have been the worst and like the fact that like the Knicks like seem like they have a viable shot at Anthony Davis, like there, there's a higher ceiling there. If you can get Anthony Davis, you can keep Anthony Davis. Like I'm not, I'm not going to argue. Like I'd rather have KP. That's insane. You'd rather have Anthony Davis. Like charges or no charges. So there's, I mean, there's a way this works out for the better. And like, given the fact that, like, obviously, like this is information we weren't operating with at the time in terms of like the possible like criminal stuff. Like it seems like it's like it's worked out. But I guess again, like my whole. Like, the more and more you, like, learn about, like, how much stuff was going on that, like, wasn't available, at least publicly at the time of the deadline, like, even beyond, like, Giannis being controlling, which which was reported at that point, it just, it, it seems like it was, like, doomed to fail. Like, I'll, I'll always make the argument that, like, the Knicks, like, and not, not necessarily um, the current front office, but, like, the past front office, like, does have a legit role in that. And if things were managed uh, competently from the beginning, like, I don't know, I mean again outside of the criminality aspect of it like if it didn't if it wouldn't have worked out for the better and could have eventually been really good but at like the end of the day like it seems like what happened is for the best yes well this turned into less of a bloodbath than i thought it was going to be given given no, the two right? histories between you two i thought i was setting up a cage match here and it just kind of yeah, turned into a well you know i mean when when everybody realizes that kp is wrong it Makes everything easier. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's, it's like more, a little, a little more, a little more nuanced than that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm generally, I think I'm, I'm conceding a, a portion of this argument. It, it was with, with the caveat that I, I didn't know that uh, he was poss- allegedly a sexual predator. Which uh, I, I mean, I mean, my, my, entire, my, my, so. my, my whole thing was like from the jump is that I just never understood the argument that like the Knicks didn't do due do, do diligence because like. You just don't make a trade like that. Like, like, I mean, there were so many people that were saying, like, oh, yeah, so the Knicks just, like, had this meeting for Zingas, and they made a trade with Dallas an hour later. It's like, do you really fucking think that, like, that's what happened? Like, really? It only looked like they didn't do due diligence because they kept that shit under lock and key in a way that we've never seen the Knicks do before. Like, that's the only reason it looked like it did. It's even crazier because, like, even after the trade, I think Stein Stein had a report where they had they had been shopping in since not necessarily shopping in but like shopping for offers, going back to the last draft. They had approached uh, the Kings about like a fox plus a pick. I, don't, I mean, it wasn't very specific what the what the actual parameters would have been, but it was going back to the last draft. They had so made was, they had made offers for I remember that report. It was they had made offers for De'Aaron Fox and they had made offers Mitchell. for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like they like they'd been doing this for a while. And like it says something, especially considering, you know, like De'Aaron Fox, top uh, top five pick a year ago, uh Donovan Mitchell, who like everybody thought was the next coming last year. Like so like the, they had shopped Porzingis for players of, you know, that's not necessarily I guess stature might be the wrong word, but like high 
high value assets. High pedigree, yeah. Yeah, high pedigree players, high pedigree assets. Um, and none of it got out until literally the trade was made. Nobody even, forget even that, nobody even knew the Knicks were actually shopping Porzingis or interested in moving him until they made the trade. Like, yeah. until the report came out that, I mean, even when the report came out that Porzingis had told them he was uncomfortable about whatever their direction moving forward, like it seemed as if Porzingis was catching them off guard and really like they were prepared for that the entire time. And that, like I said, like, again, uh, you know, for the Knicks, like that level of preparedness for our front office, um, you know, people will, will deny that like that shows any kind of progress or, you know, until the Knicks actually start winning uh, it, they won't really get credit for anything. And I understand that, but like, if you really fucking sit there and try and tell me that like nothing has changed with this organization, you know, you can just fuck off. And I know that you're not somebody we're listening to. Shout out to you, Howard Beck, fucking piece of shit. Um, so you know, that's really all it is. Is like there are people that are always going to hold them to the standard of like, well, you know, I was there when Isaiah was there, and it was all dysfunctional, and it's like. Okay, man, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, I, I agree that past front offices have sucked, but I don't really know what has happened since Scott Perry has directly been involved to lead you to believe that, like, this is a dysfunctional organization. I just don't see it. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's wrap up the Porzingis part. Not like we haven't talked about this enough, but it is always good to get another perspective on the whole thing. It's like another, like, it's always nice to get another below the belt shot of Porzingis. Yeah, can't get enough. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get in some more in the future. Can't wait. First time Mitchell Robinson blocks him. We're going to just do a whole episode dedicated to analyzing it, analyzing each of Mitch's finger movements as he went up to stuff Porzingis's crap. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I'd, I'd probably like self-combust like that episode. Like I wouldn't know how to handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be so overwhelmed with like, like feelings happiness, of loss, like but anger. also feelings of happiness. <laughs> I don't feel like pissed. I'd be like, yeah, but you know, like Schwinn was still like fucking wrong at the time. Like I would, it would, it would really like it. It would. I think I'd go in nine different directions, and just like, you just talking for like five minutes, and you realize I was just dead on the other end of the line. Like, like that <laughs> implode like a dying star. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Um. At any rate, I want to finish off the show. Brief mention to two second round workouts that I think are exciting. One of which, because it's just like my favorite player ever second one, because it's actually, I think legitimately kind of interesting. Um, the Knicks this week are working out taco fall who set like every, he's a, a center from UCF. If you're not familiar with him, uh, you can certainly listen to me gush about him on the, the pre NCAA tournament show that I did, uh, way back in March. Um, but he's like super, he's seven foot, I think seven inches tall. I mean, it doesn't even matter. He's a freaking giant. Like he can literally stand in front of the hoop and like make it so that nobody can comfortably get a shot off, like at the rim. Um, and the Knicks are apparently interested in him. He has like a, he can dunk without jumping, but he's surprisingly mobile for a dude that big. Not saying that he's actually mobile. Cause he's not, he's definitely not switchy, but he's an interesting player that I think has some interesting potential at the NBA level as a situational guy. And then secondly, they worked out Fletcher McGee, who on top of having one of the most un-NBA sounding names of all time, uh, I feel like he should be a baseball player or something, Fletcher McGee. But uh, 
on top of that, he's he was the leading three point shooter in the history of the NCAA. He set that mark uh, during the NCAA tournament, and just in general, seems like an intriguing prospect that can maybe have some. I don't know. I don't want to say JJ Redick appeal to him because Redick was a much better all around player in college for sure, but he has some like pure shooter potential to him that's kind of interesting and both could potentially be in play for the Knicks at 55 in the draft or if they decide to uh trade you know make a trade for an earlier second round pick. So, kind of curious your guys thoughts on those two prospects. Yeah, I think I'm 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 kind of out on Fletcher McGee even though I as as one myself, I love the uh, pure white uh shooter who can't do literally anything else on the basketball court as much as the next guy. But his like his stats against Power Five programs were so much so dramatically worse than and we're talking about the Wofford guy, right? I'm not I'm not getting this uh-huh. stuff. Yeah, Fletcher McGee, yeah, Wofford, yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember during the Kentucky game, like, or Sam Bassini might have tweeted something out about it, or they showed a graphic, but like he just like he was he like shot like 29 percent from three or something against like Power Five competition, and I hope I'm not exaggerating that, but it was it was just dramatically, dramatically. Where then it was like 45 percent against everyone else he played. So that just and obviously like I mean sometimes guys get in their own heads and like that shifts a little bit in the NBA when you're constantly going against those guys and you sort of get used to like the length and the athletic ability and like clearly he's like a dynamic shooter. But I just like I I don't really like and again like if you want to take a second round flyer on him like I mean it's, it's, you're basically buying a lottery ticket anyway so be my guest but like I I just I I don't think he's gonna end up being an NBA player. Uh, Taco, I'm actually Alex. I'm I'm on the bandwagon with you. Like I I think there's there's something to the idea of just having like a giant dude. Like even even like Boban is like and I, I don't know if Taco's like he's like probably a better athlete. Like I don't know if he's quite as skilled as Boban is. He's like Boban's like sneaky. Like he has some game to him, but like. The dude is like he when he plays like those eight minute stretches. Like I'm particularly thinking when he's on the Clippers. Like he had like what like a 36 PR or something for some like small stretch last season. Like and obviously like that's like not a guy that's gonna win you a playoff series. But like that's like a kind of dude who like you can use during the regular season who could swing like small stretches of games against the right comp. Like you're not gonna pull him out there against the Warriors under any condition, but against the right team at the right time, like they can they can swing a game or two. And like if that's what I get for my second round pick, like I'll I'll take that. Um, feel free to shit all over yeah i thought you just hung up in anger for a second (laughs) no uh no i mean like the fletcher mcgee thing i think is i don't know what to think like yeah okay so he shot i I didn't know those stats actually i didn't know those splits at all so that's kind of enlightening to know but at the same time it's like you know who the fuck was on that team with him so they're playing a power five conference team like their entire fucking game plan is probably just like yo man just guard this guy they're done um and i feel like that affects your percentages so much um i don't know i to me that is somebody that's way more worth betting on later in the draft than fucking taco fall who moves like i don't know slightly less athletically than me um (laughs) so i I don't know i i get it like how are you as an athlete uh, not very good. Okay. You're giving yourself a lot of credit as an athlete right now, Schwinn. I don't know. Am I? I am I? Because last time, like Taco Fall can't move. He's just seven, fucking thirty five inches, um, and like, like, it's this is such a stupid thing to talk about because I feel like I'm just shitting on a guy that I don't even think matters. But like, I mean, you can't play zone in the NBA. Not a true zone, anyway. You can't just have your behemoth stand in front of the rim for, like, 
the entire shot clock. You can do that in college. He's going to get away with that. He has, like, an outsized impact in college. Like, probably, you know, he was probably an undervalued college player, to be honest. Um, but, like, when you're projecting to go to the next level, like, what does he do to convince me that he can go to the next level? What does he shoot from the free throw line? Like, 6.9%? <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be fair, actually, this year it was his worst by far. He he shot as high as fifty six percent from the line at one point in his career. So what's his career? What is his career average? Forty three percent. Not okay, very yeah, good. And yeah, his worst. So, it, it actually got worse every single year. Strangely enough. Okay. So he probably just a terrible shooter. Zero touch. Uh, probably has no upside as an outside shooter. Um, to my you know very very basic watching of him. Had zero post game, uh, obviously at his size, which you don't expect, but like not much lift around the rim. Um, can't move outside the paint defensively. Like, what what am I talking to myself into here in terms of an NBA prospect outside of the fact that he's gigantic? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, at least Fletcher McGee, you're like, okay, guy shot a lot of he shot money from three. Uh, obviously sucked against power five conferences was that a result of him just having a little shoot against those teams or is it more that like he was the only and primary focus of them defensively and you know i would much rather go with butcher mcgee i think that like that skill is more valuable than taco fall being a gigantic human being as much as you love him alex i'm sorry I just want to go on the record and say that I am Team Taco and Team Flusher. I actually would i I would be intrigued by that. What if you team. had to? You have to choose between the two. If I have to, like if it's yeah. like, like gun to my head, one or the other. Yeah, I have a gun to your head right now. RCP ninety, like Goldeneye. I'm still taking Taco just because I love him. <laughs> like purely not from a basketball reason. Like I could definitely see the appeal of Fletcher because three point shooting, even if you're like literally just a three point gunner that can come in for 10 minutes a game and knock down, you know, two to three, three pointers. I mean, Steve Novak made some decent money on the Knicks with that very same skill. He couldn't do anything other than shoot three pointers. The goat. Um, yeah. The goat Steve Novak. But uh, I just, I something about taco. Like I feel like, he's obviously limited as far as switchability and stuff, but I do think that he's, he impacts the game in a really interesting way. Also, it has yeah, like negatively for your it, team. No, no, not at all. The numbers bear <laughs> completely differently on that for him in college. I mean, he literally hit the UCF was like 10 points better when he was on the floor than when you he know was. the key word in college. I know. I mean, I understand it's college. My thing is, I just think that he's, He's something that you haven't really seen in the NBA before because he, as much as he's not super mobile, he's more mobile than anybody his size has ever been. I think you could definitely make that argument. Um, Is he more mobile than Yao Ming? I I think there's a case to be made, yeah, that he is. Get the fuck out of here. I'm serious. He's not as smooth as Yao Ming. Like, Yao had, like, some touch. You know, he had, like, a little jumper. And, you know, Yao definitely has better touch than Taco does. Taco, he can't really score outside of, you know, six, seven feet away from the rim. Um, But, I mean, he can literally almost reach the rim from seven feet away, which is ridiculous. Um, But I just, I think, I think from like a mobility, like defensively perspective, he might be more mobile than Yao used to be. Would you Um, trade the third pick for Taco straight up? Ooh, it would be tempting. 
I, I don't know if I'm willing to state that position publicly just yet. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for the hate that would follow of, of my real opinion. <laughs> I mean, you could just like draft him at three. Taco Fall or Star J. Barrett, man. What's the, what's the choice here? Um, yeah, this, this is, these are things that only go on in my head. I can't believe you, you dug in there and brought this out into the public like this, but um <laughs> Yeah, I, I love Taco Fall. That's the moral of this story. He's got a fun um, name, at least. <laughs> yeah, ta- every day would be Taco Tuesday. It would be like it would be like in the Lego Movie where they make every day Taco Tuesday um, by gluing all of us into our seats at MSG with the craggle. Um, anyway, do you guys have anything else to add? I, I feel like we've probably reached our logical endpoint here with my love of Taco. I think I think we got all we could out of this one. I think we got more than we should have. And I think we got an extra 20% even. We had a lot of heated debates about, you know, Alonzo Trier versus Landry Shimon. Taco (laughs) Fall versus nobody. (laughs) Uh, Schwinn, why don't you tell everybody where to find you and stuff real quick before we log off? Yeah, uh, you can just find me on Twitter at Poo, or, uh, you know, and I write also on posting and toasting, so find me on there as well. All right, shouts to posting and toasting. Also, shout out to our sponsors of today's show, Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip Six Belts. And, of course, we hope that you guys were listening to us on the Himalaya Podcast app, the best possible podcast app. We have a good guest coming for you guys uh, either tomorrow or early next week, or maybe both if it's two parts. We will see, but we have a good guest coming up soon for you guys related to the draft, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I'm Gat. I'm Alex. He's Gavin. He's Schwinn, and we're out of here. Peace out.